All right. Well, good morning and welcome to H2O. It's great to have you here with us today. My name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't got the opportunity to meet you, want to welcome H2O Akron, who's joining us via video today. And we are excited today because if you were with us uh, last week, we launched into a new series. We're doing a four-week series in the book of Jonah. And we are going to be studying this book and looking into what God wants to teach us through this book. Now, Jonah is a a very interesting book, right? Because whether you grew up in church and you were the champion of your Bible quiz team and you know every answer uh, to any biblical question that's out there, or whether this is your first time at church in a long time, or maybe never even stepped foot inside of a church, you probably have some picture in your mind as to what the book of Jonah is about, don't you? And if I asked all of you, you know, here, if I said, what's the book of Jonah about? Pretty much all of us, and myself included, we would say the book of Jonah is about a guy getting swallowed by a whale. That's what most of us would answer the question as. If you're really good at Bible trivia, you might say it's about a guy getting swallowed by a big fish, you know, because the Bible doesn't actually call it a whale. And so a lot of us, we have this preconceived idea and this preconceived notion of what the book of Jonah is all about. But the really interesting thing that we're going to be looking at, that we're going to be studying, and that we're going to be observing today is that the book of Jonah actually is very little to do with that one event that's talked about. We will talk about that here today, but it's much bigger than that. You know, the book of Jonah, it's four chapters long. It's 48 verses long, and there's only two verses that talk about Jonah being in the belly of the whale. So, you know, only about 4% of the book has to do with that, that story that many of us remember. It's a memorable fact, but the book is about something so much bigger than that. The book of Jonah is teaching us about the very character of God, the very heart of the God of the universe and what he's like and, and who he cares for and who he loves and how he wants to interact with us as humanity. And so while there is a storyline and a plot that unfolds, it's pretty interesting to think about and to talk about. It is a much more important book than just a big fish swallowing a guy. It's much more than just a, a story that we tell our kids. It is extremely significant because it gets to the very heart of who God is. You know, it's also interesting as we think about this book of Jonah, oftentimes we make it a lot about Jonah, right? Because if you know a little bit about the story beyond just the whale swallowing him, Jonah runs from God. And we talked about this a lot uh, in the first week as we launch into this book. And it's interesting because if you look at it on the surface level, a lot of us, we make Jonah out to be this guy that was like just running from God, had no respect from God. We were actually even planning in our staff meetings. We always like to plan out these services. And so as we were starting to plan out this, this series, we said, you know, hey, everybody, what's your thoughts on the book of Jonah? And a couple of our staff members are like, Jonah, Jonah's a punk. You know, like he, he doesn't even, how could he be so irreverent? How could God give him this very specific mission and he just run away from God? He's a fool. He has no wisdom at all. And then there was another group of us that were like, yeah, but do you know what God was actually calling him to do? He was calling him to do something extremely hard. And so as we started to talk and discuss, we started to realize that whether we want to admit it or not, we can all probably relate to Jonah on a pretty serious level. Uh, to, to, to come to this book and to think about God calling us to do something extremely hard is something that many of us have faced in our life. 
And oftentimes for some of us, we'll say, yes, God, sign me up for that. I'm on board. Let's go do this. But many of us as well, in that same sense, come to a place where we say, God, I'm not too sure if I can actually do what you're asking me to do, whether it's big or whether it's small. God, I'm not sure I can go where you're asking me to go. I I just don't know. And so in that sense, this book teaches us a lot about God, and it also teaches us a lot about humanity. It also teaches us a lot about ourselves. So here's the big idea that we're going to uncover in the second week of this Jonah series. The big idea is this, that even when we fall short, God shows his love for all people. Even when we fall short, and we're going to see in the beginning of this message where Jonah is continuing to fall short, even when we fall short, God finds a way to show his love for all people. God finds a way to redeem the situations that we find ourselves in, whether they're based on us making mistakes and running from God, or whether they're based on us actually following him. Even when we fall short, God finds a way to show his love for all of humanity. So let's just recap really quick because we made it through the first uh, 10 verses of Jonah last week. And the recap of last week is, is pretty simple. God comes to Jonah. Jonah was this, this prophet, this preacher, and, and he was part of God's family, the, the Israelites. And, and we can guess that he probably had a pretty thriving ministry. And so God comes to Jonah and says, I don't want you just to, to preach to my people, the Israelites, but now I want you to take a new step of faith, Jonah. I I want you to to leave the comfort of the place that you're at, and I want you to go east to Nineveh, and I want you to share about my love and grace and compassion with these group of people that are pagans. These group of people that that Pastor Matt explained to us uh, were very far from God, and, and they were very violent, and they were very wicked, and there was actually some racism going on because Jonah's people didn't like these Ninevites, and so there was there was this tension between the two. God calls Jonah to leave his comfort zone of the place that he's at. He says, go east to Nineveh and tell this group of people who you hate that I love them and that I want what's best for them and that I care for them and I want them to turn from their wickedness and their sin and their brokenness and I want them to follow me. Well, as the the story unfolds, Jonah says, not going to do that, God, (laughs) not at all. And so Jonah decides to run from God. That's a a huge part of this story and we talked about it a lot last week. Instead of going east to Nineveh, Jonah goes to this port, he jumps on the ship and he goes west or tries to go west to Tarshish. And as he is sailing, Uh, he goes down to the bottom of the boat and he falls asleep. He's trying to get away from God. He's trying to, maybe you've been in that spot before when you're just trying to forget about everything, goes in the bottom of the boat and sleeps and all of a sudden the storm starts to come. And, and it's not just like a regular storm. As the sailors who have, we can assume have been on the sea a lot of different times, they start to realize there's something significant about the storm. It's almost like this storm is supernatural. And they remember Jonah saying to him, yeah, I'm running from the God of the universe. And so they go down and they wake him up and they say, this storm isn't normal. And you're the only one that's different on this boat from who's normally on this boat. So is it you? Is, is that's what is going on here? And that's where we pick up today. In Jonah chapter 1, and we're going to pick up here in verse 11. The sailors are, are terrified, and they come to Jonah. They say, you're running from God. What are we going to do? We know that you're the reason for this storm. And then we pick up in verse 11, and we're going to stop 
four different times throughout the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2 and pull out from Scripture what we think God wants us to teach, teach us. In verse 11, it says this. It says, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Kind of an interesting question, right? Again, Jonah, you're the only one that's different on this ship. We know it's your fault. What should we do to you to make this storm not happen for us? Jonah, in verse 12, he says this, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will be calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. You know, Jonah gets a pretty bad rap in this book, but that's a pretty selfless thing to say, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine being on this boat and all of a sudden the storm comes on, you know it's your fault, and instead of continuing to try to hide, Jonah finally says, listen, it's my fault. I'll take ownership. It's me running from God. And he does this selfless thing. He says, throw me in to the sea. Now, in verse 13, it says, Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And they cried out to the Lord, Please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. And then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea drew calm. Uh, the first thing that we can learn from, from these passages is this. We can run from God, but he is never far away. We can all try to run from God, but this story teaches us that as far as we try to run, God is a big God. He's the God of the universe. That ship, God was still present on. And so as Jonah was trying to run from God, God was still near to him. And the consequences of Jonah's sin and brokenness and disobedience started to play out onto the people that were around him. You see, when we run from God, there are consequences to our disobedience. Because God's plan for us is always what's best. And oftentimes we think that we have things figured out and even when God asks us to go do something hard, like love somebody that we don't want to love or, or care for somebody or sacrifice in some type of way, when we're disobedient, even the hard things that God's asking us to do, there's consequences because God's plan is best for our life. But even in that moment, God is still near to Jonah. He was trying to run from God, but God was really, really close. You know, it reminds me of this phenomenon that, that, that happened in recent years. Maybe some of you who have kids, you've experienced this. If you have kids, or all of us, we've been kids at some point, if you're an adult, obviously, when the, the, the two or the three-year range comes into a, a little kid's life, they have this temptation to just explore the world. Maybe some of us who have young kids, you've experienced this. And so what kids do is they, they, they haven't developed enough to realize that they need to stay close to their parents, but they're excited because they can walk now. They can run now. And I remember when my, my kids were this age, they would get into crowds, and our kids, they would love to just take off, you know? Maybe we'd be walking around the mall, or we'd be walking around the fair or something like that. And as you're walking around, all of a sudden, your kids would just wander off and go do whatever they were. It's like they were running away because they, they had in their mind what they wanted to see happen. And there's a couple different solutions to this problem that parents have come up with. Maybe one of them you've seen. One of them is like the, the dog leash that you attach to your kids. Have you guys seen this? I think I got a picture. Yeah, like right there. And um, I'm not judging you if, you if you do that. 
Maybe just a little bit I am. Um, I get it, though. I understand, you know, like if you're at Disney World and you're walking around and, and you know, you're worried about your leash. Yeah, just throw a leash on them, I guess, you know. Uh, that'll work. That's one way to keep track of your kids. But I, I always like to try to do something different. I was a believer and still am in natural consequences. And so what I would typically try to do if my kids wandered off you know, I would just let them wander off. And then I would go kind of hide around the corner a little bit, you know. And so they would be wandering around just enjoying life. And, and I would go to a place where they had no clue where I was. I could still see them, so they were still safe. Uh, but I was letting them wander around. And then you watch. And then all of a sudden, eventually along the way, there's this sheer moment of terror in your kid's eyes. Because they realize I've wandered away from safety. I've like ran away from mom and dad and now I'm in this place with all these giant people, none of them whom I know, none of them who are safe. And they start to get a little bit scared and nervous and just about at that moment I'd walk up to them and say, hey, you know, dad's right here. Did you, did you wander off? Yeah, yeah. Hey, stay, stay with us, okay? Because I want to watch out for you. I want to protect you. And, and I think that that's a, a really powerful picture of how God interacts with each one of us. You know, have you noticed in your life that God doesn't like put you on a leash and chain you to him, right? God gives us this ability to make decisions. Are we going to follow him or not? Are we going to be disobedient or not? He doesn't keep us chained to him. He lets us wander sometimes. But here's the amazing thing about God. He's never out of reach. He, he's never so far gone that he forgets about us. He's always right there. See, we can wander from God, but he is always present. He is always there. You see, God says that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. That nothing can separate us from his love, not even our own disobedience, not even our own wandering. And so we see Jonah running from God, trying to get away. And God's like, no, you're, you're my kid. I love you. I'm going to go with you. And wherever you go, I'll be there. And I'm going to do some things that, that are pretty profound and pretty extreme to get you to come back to me because that's what's best for you. You see, we see the heart of God in this passage because God not only cares about the Ninevites, which is an amazing story, and that's what we're going to talk about in week three and four. But God cares about Jonah. God cares about his messenger. God cares about the heart of this man who he sent to share the good news of his love with other people. And he cares about him so much that he is willing to send these circumstances that are very extreme to get his attention and say, I am right here. You can run, but I'll always be there. You're not going anywhere because you're mine. And we get to see how this fold, unfolds and, and plays out. And Jonah, the next verse, verse 16, something really cool happens. Verse 16, it says this. At this time, remember what had just happened? Crazy storm. Jonah says it's my fault. Throw him overboard. Check out verse 16. At this time, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to him. Something pretty amazing happened, even in spite of Jonah. And the second thing is this. Even in our weakest moments, God can use us. Even in our weakest moments, God can use us. Isn't it pretty ironic that Jonah is 
running to the west. God says, go to the east to tell these pagans about me and my love. Jonah is running away in the complete opposite direction to the west, but he finds himself on a boat with a bunch of pagans who don't know God. And he doesn't want anything to do with talking to them about God. But God brings these circumstances up that, that are completely out of their control. And now it's almost like God was saying, hey, Jonah, thanks for, thanks for that, actually, because I was wanting to get around to save these people too, you know? I don't just want to save the Ninevites. I don't want to just save you. I want to save these people on this boat as well. And so in spite of your disobedience and brokenness, I am going to use these circumstances and even use you to bring these people into relationship with me. You see, the people on this boat, because of Jonah's disobedience, got to see the power of God. They were worshiping multiple gods. They were worshiping idols. But then they realized, wait a minute, Jonah's God is real. He's not just an idol who you, you know, babble some words to. No, he's real. He controls the sea. He controls the storms. Let's worship him because there's something real about him. And so even in Jonah's brokenness, God used him. And, and, and for those of us who want to be used by God, that should give us some encouragement. That should give us some comfort to know that even in our weakest moments, God is so much bigger than us. And so when we do ministry and we make a mistake or we don't say the words just right or we try to tell somebody about the love of Christ and we fail and fall short, God can still use us even in our brokenness. It doesn't surprise God. It doesn't, doesn't throw him off. He just says, I'm going to continue to do my thing because I love every single human that's created in my image. Let's jump back in. Verse 17. This is one of the two verses out of the 48 that, that talks about this, this plot and the storyline that, that's pretty significant. Verse 17. It says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I just want to stop right there for a minute because um, I think there's an important question that probably a lot of us are even asking, whether you ask it out loud or not. We were studying this story at a family devotion time we had this week and we were talking about it with our kids. The question is this, like, did that really happen? Like, is, is this a fairy tale type thing? Did, you know, it says that this big fish came and swallowed Jonah. Could have that really happened? And I think it's an important question because God doesn't want us just to, to blindly follow him in our faith. He wants us to interact with him and ask the real questions that we have. The Bible says God, Jonah got thrown in the, the ocean and this giant fish comes and swallows him and he's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Well, I can tell you this. I, I can tell you that I believe that it really did happen. Because first of all, I believe what the Bible says is true. But even more than that, if we look at this story and say, well, that's not scientifically possible, you know, so it didn't happen. We have to look at all of the Bible and say, our faith as followers in Christ is based on a God who does miracles. Right? God didn't just set things into motion and then just leave it be. God interacts with us. In fact, even more than that, we serve a God who is based on a miracle. We serve Jesus Christ, and he proved to us that he is God in flesh by doing something miraculous, right? He rose from the dead. He defeated the grave. And so if we look at this story and say, well, that's not scientifically possible, so I don't know if I can possibly believe it, then we have to ask the question, was it possible for Jesus to rise from the dead? And of course, the answer is yes. 
And not only that, but Jesus himself references this story. So wherever you land on that, there's so much that we can learn, no matter what your take on this story is. But Jesus, when he's talking about the story, he, he go, we can go to Matthew chapter 12, and he references Jonah. And it's going to bring us to our second or third point in this message. And our third point is this, that Jonah points us to Jesus. The book of Jonah and all of the Bible was written to point us towards Jesus. And Jesus confirms this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. He says, As for Jonah, he was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish. And so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the earth. And the men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. See, Jesus says, all those things that happened with Jonah, they're just simply pointing towards me. And it's really interesting to look at the parallels between the story of Jonah and the life of Jesus. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus references it right there. There's this significance of the three days and three nights in the belly of the whale and Jesus spending three days in the grave and Jonah being spit out to new life from the whale and Jesus raising to new life from the dead. Think about the parallels of that. Think about another parallel. God gives Jonah this mission to come and, and, and share the love of Christ with these people who don't know God at all. And the same is true of God to Jesus. God gave Jesus a mission to come to this world and to share about his love with every single person that exists. Now Jonah ran from that mission the first time and Jesus was perfectly obedient. And so Jesus is a greater version of Jonah but it points us to him nonetheless. Third, there's a really cool parallel, and we don't have time to get in depth in studying it, but if you want to study this book a little bit more in depth, go to Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. Maybe you remember this story. Jesus is in a really similar situation. Do you remember Jesus being on a boat and him and his disciples crossing the sea and all of a sudden a storm raging? Do you remember where Jesus was? He was asleep in the bottom of the boat. Remember where Jonah was? Asleep in the bottom of the boat. Now for Jonah, for the storm to stop, he had to come up and repent and be thrown overboard. And yet Jesus wakes up and he just speaks to the storm. And it's silenced and still. Wow, what an amazing parallel. And there's so many more, uh, not to mention the fact that Jonah says, hey, I worship the God who created this sea and, and the whole world. And Jesus says, I am the God who created this sea and the whole world. So you may have to get thrown in to stop the storm. I just use my words because I already spoke it into creation. The amazing story of Jonah, as amazing and powerful as it is, it points us to something so much greater. The God of the universe coming to this earth to sacrifice and die for you and for me. See, Jonah points us to Jesus. I want to read this last part as we wrap up here. It's Jonah chapter 2. The whole chapter is one thought. And we start to see a little bit of the, the heart of Jonah. And again, we can wrestle with the character of Jonah, probably because a lot of us can relate to him. It's like his relationship with God was up and down and up and down. Jonah's running from God, 
Then he decides to be obedient and confess that he was the one that caused the storm. He's sacrificial. He gets thrown into the, the sea. And now we find him in the belly of this big fish. Let's see what Jonah does. Chapter 2, verse 1. It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers, they swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters, they threatened me. The deep surrounds me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. We laughed at that one when we read it as a family this week. Picture that. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath bare in, my, in me forever. But you, Lord my God, brought up my life from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remember you, Lord. And my prayers rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. See, Jonah, because of his disobedience, finds himself in a dark, desperate place. And what does he choose to do? He chooses to praise God. And fourth and finally, that's our fourth point. When you find yourself in a dark place, cry out to God. When you find yourself in a dark place, cry out to God. You know, some of our, us, as, as we're here today, we find ourselves in a dark place that was kind of self-imposed, right? We're a little bit like Jonah, Maybe some of us, if we're here and we're just really honest, we have some pain, we have some brokenness, we have some sin in our lives that we're running from that's caused us to be in a place of a little bit of desperation, of hurt, of pain. I wonder what God would say to us. I think he'd say the exact same thing he said to Jonah. I haven't given up on you. You can run, but I'm going to be right there. I'm just waiting for you to cry out to me and turn to me. You know, and others of us, we find ourselves in a dark place sometimes through no fault of our own. You know, sometimes the places we end up in are dark because we took ourselves there. And sometimes the places that we end up in, sadly, have nothing to do with us. But unfortunately, we end up there nonetheless. And I think no matter why you're there, no matter how you got there, the response to say, God, I'm going to worship you no matter what, is what brings hope and what brings freedom and what brings joy. You know, if you uh, follow me on social media or Facebook at all, I don't post all that much anymore, but uh, I, I posted something this week because we had a really good friend. He's actually an alumni of this church who went and planted a church at Missouri, John Draghi, uh, going for brain surgery. Just normal guy, having headaches, went to the doctor. Doctor says, you got a tumor in your brain. They 
go and cut open his head, get the tumor out. It's looking good for a couple days. They do the biopsy, and they say it's the, the worst type of brain cancer. You have 18 months to maybe five years to live. And, um, man, that's, that's hard news for a guy that's just barely 50 and has been serving the Lord and just trying to honor God. He's a guy that so many of us on staff here and in our network we look up to and love and respect. He's a mentor of many of ours and somebody that, that, that I just think has just walked with Jesus in such an inspiring way. He helps lead the Colorado LT program that we send students to. So we've been keeping in contact with him, and he sent this update last night. He said, as of right now, 9 p.m. on Saturday, after giving some details of some of the diagnosis, he said, I'm becoming more and more encouraged. My God, whom I have sought for the last 37 years, is faithful. We cry often when triggered, and Jesus seems to be crying with us. I don't think God wants us to, to fake it. I think he wants us to be honest. Amy and I are holding on to each other tight, trusting but also deeply aching. We are 52 and 50 years old. This was not the script we dreamed would come to pass. As I try to sit and listen to the Lord, I hear him calling, come, sit, rest, he says. My deep desire is to experience him in the newer, sweeter ways that I've yet to delve into so far. Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and to become more like him in his suffering. Philippians 3.10 has been my life verse in the last 34 years. I wonder if I'm about to learn it on a, on a whole different dimension than was ever possible earlier. Pray that we would beautifully learn the new rhythms of life that must change now, that we make time for reflection and quietness this week. And listen to him. You know, John is such an awesome example. I want to invite you to pray for him with us as we're praying for his healing because we serve a God who does do miracles. But I just think about that example and I think about getting that diagnosis this week and I think about how in the world can a, a guy hear something like that and just say, I just want to know Christ more and more. I just want to worship him more and more. Man, what joy and hope comes from following God. Jonah, for all of his weaknesses and brokenness, he did something right here. He's in a dark place, and he cries out to God. Our friend, Pastor John, he sets an example for us in this. And I want to encourage all of us, no matter where you are, worshiping Jesus, fixing our eyes and our hearts on him, that's what brings real life and real hope. You know, as we think about wrapping up this message, even when we fall short, God loves us. God cares for us. And the proper response is to worship him. So I invite you to pray with me. And then let's do that very thing together. God, we thank you.